0: Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Arguably at a time of crisis, whether it's the health crisis like coronavirus or the subsequent economic crisis, the message of the Christian gospel becomes all the more relevant and important for all of us and we might then argue that the gospel becomes even more potent for a young emerging generation, concerned about their future as conditions around the world deteriorate. Well, an upcoming online youth conference in early July called Teen Street, which is really, I think, a product that comes out of the Operation Mobilization Organization, a huge organization around the world. Will Teen Street, described as a hothouse for raising up young disciples, It's been running for more than 10 years, with a focus on growing Christian culture in the lives of young Australians. One of the international guest speakers at Teen Street this year is Greg Steer from the United States. He's the founder of a ministry called Dare to Share. He describes himself as a twitchy revolutionary and a fanatic for Jesus. Well, he's been working with young people for more than 20 years and is the author of numerous books and resources. Greg is joining us from Denver, Colorado in the United States. Greg, a special welcome along to 2020. Glad to be a part of the show, Neil. Thank you so much. Hey, Greg, let me come back to uh, just something you've described yourself as, a twitchy revolutionary and a fanatic for Jesus. (laughs) Give us some insights here into why why you call yourself those names.
1: Well, you know, I just, I believe in the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, Paul says in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And as a kid raised in the inner city of Denver, my family, you know, they were bodybuilding, tobacco chewing, beer drinking thugs. And that's just the women. I mean, they, they were a tough family, kind of a gang family, I never knew my biological father. And a preacher from the suburbs reached my family with the gospel of Christ and changed the complete trajectory of my family from hell to heaven, from sin to the Savior. And, you know, from the time I watched that as a kid, I began to realize, man, this is not, this is not a message to be trifled with. It, it will change lives. And so that's why I am a revolutionary. I'm kind of twitchy. And I love working with teens because I believe they're vastly underestimated in their ability
0: to make and multiply disciples. So that's why I call myself that. Wow. And before we even move on, I've noticed in successful youth pastors, uh, people who've become great leaders of youth ministries, that this has been a part of who they are and this idea of a fanatic for Jesus. Some people don't like the word fanatic, but that person like yourself who says, This is what I'm called to do and nothing else matters. I'll give my life to following Jesus and in this calling I'm going to give my everything. There's something in there that really sets the scene for what it is to lead young people today. They they see through a whole lot of stuff but they know when there's passion there. Give us a little insight here into your thoughts about what makes the sort of youth minister really effective for young people today. Well, I
1: do. I believe teens are looking for three things. They're looking for a king, they're looking for a cause, and they're looking for a crew. And so a youth leader that understands that will help them understand King Jesus is the king that we're all called to follow, right? He said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So he is the king of the universe. The cause Jesus gives, gives as well in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples of all nations. And that's the ultimate cause. Literally, heaven and hell hang in the balance. For people that don't know christ and then the crew that we're not doing it alone you know the disciples were together as a group and even if a kid feels alone jesus says i'm with you always to the very end of the age so i really believe contained in the great commission is everything a teenager needs a king a cause and a crew and i'm convinced neil that jesus himself was a youth leader because if you look in matthew 17 24 through 27 Peter and Jesus and the disciples go into Capernaum, but only Peter and Jesus pay the temple tax. And if you cross-reference that with Exodus chapter 30, verse 14, the temple tax was only for those twenty years old and older. So all the disciples are there, but only Peter and Jesus pay. So if I'm reading that right, Jesus was a youth leader with one adult volunteer, right? And with that youth group, he transformed the world. And so I believe youth leaders work their salt understand that Jesus has called them to lead a revolution by bringing people from darkness to light, from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God. I, I think we lower the bar for teens too often. We need to raise the bar like Jesus did.
0: you hey, not wanting to take us necessarily down a political path here, but a king, a cause, and a crew— there's a contrast to what is happening even right now around the whole world uh, with Black Lives Matter and the way that as you look at demonstrations that are happening on streets around the world, there are a lot of young people who are attracted to something that will give a sort of radical bent to what they do. They're looking for a cause. They're looking for someone to lead. I wonder if you've got a contrast of what it is to be in the kingdom of God and the contrast that there is to some of the other things that are capturing young people's imaginations today?
1: Well, I I think it's a a great illustration because you look on television, you'll see, like you said, so many young people that are protesting and, you know, it's set the United States, I mean, literally in some cases, on fire. Um, But young people are looking for a cause. And um, I believe that for us as believers... You know, that primary cause, there's other causes that are good, but the primary cause God has called us to is to make disciples of all nations. So what I tell young people is, hey, I'm all about, you know, giving bread to the hungry, but also give them the bread of life. I'm about giving water to the thirsty, but also give them the living water. Build a house for the homeless on earth and in heaven. Stop human trafficking and stop soul trafficking. And so when you... Uh, really help a young person understand that our primary allegiance is not to our country, it's to our king, the king of kings, the lord of lords, uh, and really help them understand that he's inviting them to this mission, this cause, this transformative revolution. Uh, I believe teenagers get excited about that, so I think we need to harness all this energy um, toward what's going to really bring change in this nation and around the world. You know, Thoreau said... For every thousand hacking at the leaves of evil, one strikes at the root. And so, I mean, I believe in good causes. I think, you know, as as in the United States, we have the First Amendment that gives us the right for peaceful protest. But ultimately, the only thing that's going to strike at the root of evil Uh, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. My family, uh, growing up, I came from a family that was full of racists. I mean, we lived in a largely Hispanic area, and my family, you know, they hated Mexicans, and it was a battle back and forth. But when Christ came into their lives and their souls over the course of time, God removed that root of uh, bitterness and racism and replaced it with love for everyone. And that's only what the gospel can do. You can't legislate that. You can't put policies in, in, you know, in place that will root out the evil of racism. Only the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ can do that. And once students get a hold of that, boy, they lock in and spread the good news of Jesus.
0: You started to share some of your own story, raised in a poor area, a high crime rate. And a preacher reached out to your Uncle Jack uh, who had been in jail uh, for some violent crime and Uncle Jack was transformed by the gospel. It takes someone to really take that step, to put their faith in Christ, to allow their life to be changed by him, to actually make a difference in a lot of families. That made a huge difference to you and uh, and really that, that's when your whole family started to Uh, follow suit take us into a little bit deeper here into your own family story here because uh, you know the youth pastor becomes that person who helps to direct the traffic and uh, point young people to lives that are transformed Uh, take us some more into your deeper into your own story Greg yeah so you know Yankee is this
1: preacher he spoke with a southern accent from Georgia but for whatever reason his nickname was Yankee and he was fearless, and he was given a dare by a guy named Bob Bailey to go talk to my Uncle Jack. My Uncle Jack, in and out of prison his whole life, one for choking two police officers out at the same time who were trying to arrest him on assault charges. So he was a very bad man. It looks like the Wolverine, but bigger. Uh, big lamb chops, sideburns, dats everywhere, huge bodybuilder. And this preacher just went straight to his door, said, I'm here on a dare. Bob Daly to tell you about Jesus. My Uncle Jack talked like this. He goes, I don't know Jesus, but I know Jack. I mean I I don't know I don't know Jesus, but I know Bob, so I'll give you five minutes. And they sat down and he had never heard that Jesus died on the cross for his sins, that Jesus came to pay the price for sinners' sins on the cross, and that Jesus rose again and offers eternal life to all those who simply trust in him. Instead of trying themselves, they trust in jesus and he had never heard that message he put his faith in christ and then it just kind of they felt like dominoes in my family my uncle bob came to christ in the back of a squad car after he beat a guy to death in a barroom brawl they resuscitated the guy but in between he says god i'm in just you know rescue me and in my i had the privilege of leading my mom to christ who was the only girl in the group i was born at a wedlock never met my biological father and i went to yankee's church in Yankee trained us when we were teenagers how to share the gospel and how to communicate the good news. And, and I was able to, over the course of a couple of years, finally lead my mom to Christ. And the reason I lead Dear to Share today, which is training and equipping young people to share the gospel, is because I was trained and equipped as a young person to share the gospel, and I saw it radically transform my entire family. So man, I just think we underestimate that message and how desperately people need it. Uh, And we need to really help our students see, you know, this as the ultimate cause, the cause of reaching people, rescuing them from the flames, as Jude 23 says, and ushering
0: them into the kingdom of of God's dear son. Okay. Yankee, the preacher, was fearless. And there's a certain sense here that half-heartedness, in other words, uh, standing back, uh, doubt your own capacities, somehow or other has an inoculating effect of people against the gospel. What are your thoughts here for young people and what it is that helps young people to respond affirmatively for the gospel? Because half-heartedness seems to be a disease today where that sort of fearlessness that you're talking about with the preacher Yankee, he certainly had something that captured the imagination of your uncle. Well, you know,
1: you need a rally point. You need a reason. And so, I, I always say to youth leaders, hey, what is your big why? What is the why that you're given to these students to share their faith? I mean, Jesus isn't just there to make their life incrementally better. He's there to transform their lives. So, students that are struggling through anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts, you know, Christ comes in John 10:10. 10, 10, I've come that you may have life and may have it more abundantly. And then there's this thing called hell that nobody seems to talk about anymore, but Jesus talked about it all the time, that people that die without Christ will spend an eternity in a place called hell, and separated from the love of God, and that, you know, I remember once I was speaking on that at a Dare to Share event, and a teenage girl came up to me, and she goes, why has my youth leader never told me that my friends that die without Christ will go to hell? I did not realize that there is a real place called hell, and so... Well, we say it's not just, you know, it's saving them not just from the hell they're headed to, but the hell they're going through right now, apart from the relationship with Jesus Christ. And then there's the love of God, which constrains us, compels us, and that's the love that Jesus showed on the cross to restore that relationship. Um, There's, you know, the rewards of hearing, well done, my good and faithful servant. I think what we need to do, I think it was Spurgeon who said, the key to great preaching is great subjects. We need to dust off some of the great subjects and really clearly paint the picture for these youth leaders like Jesus did with his teenagers uh, to inspire them with a big why. You know, here in the United States, when George Floyd was killed, was murdered, you know, it was a a terrible thing. When people watched that video, they were inspired uh, to protest, right? Right. Well, we need to paint a picture uh, for young people that, man, heaven and hell hang in the balance and the cure to depression and anxiety and suicidal thoughts and, you know, a wasted life is found in Jesus Christ. When we clearly paint that picture, then kids get the why, uh, and then once they get the why, you can just train them how. So that's, that's what I think we need to do.
0: This is 2020 with Neil Johnson. Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Greg Steer is our guest. And yes, you heard there was a spot there that was talking about the Teen Street Conference that's coming up. Greg Steer is one of the keynote speakers. He'll be there influencing the young people in our own circle of influence. And the encouragement is to get your teenager signed up, registered and ready for Teen Street that's coming up. Hey, Greg, let me ask you about you've got some really great ways to be able to introduce young people to a discipleship understanding. You've got this thing called the gospel in six words or simplifying the Holy Bible in six words. In just a moment, I'm going to play a a rap track with uh, rapper Propaganda who put uh, your poem into into a rap version. But uh, give us a little insight here into this idea of six words.
1: Yeah, so years ago, you know, we have a a gospel acrostic we use to train students to share their faith, and the first word of each sentence to the acrostic, God, our sins, paying everyone life, Propaganda wrote a spoken word that went with it. So it's a way for students to understand the whole story of the gospel, but then the way Propaganda did it, it's just beautiful poetry
0: uh, that I I can't describe. You'll just have to play the track, because it's the power of the message of the gospel. So we're going to take a short little break here and hear the propaganda uh, words as he raps these six words. You'll need to listen in carefully, but we'll come back and we'll talk about these six words in just a few moments. It's the full story of life crushed into four minutes,
2: the entirety of humanity in the palm of your hand crushed into one sentence. Listen, it's intense, right? God, our sins, paying everyone life. The greatest story ever told that's hardly ever told, God. Yes, God the maker and giver of life, and by life I mean any and all manner and substance, seen and unseen, what can and can't be touched, thoughts, image, emotions, love, atoms and oceans, God. All of it is handiwork, one of which is masterpiece, made so uniquely that angels look curiously, the one thing in creation that was made with His imagery, the concept so cold, it's the reason I stay bold, how God breathed in a man and He became a living soul formed with the intent of being infinitely intimately fond creator and creation held an eternal bond and it was placed in perfect paradise till something went wrong a species got deceived and started lusting for his job an odd list of complaints as if the system ain't working and used that same breath he graciously gave us to curse him and that sin seed spread through our soul's genome and by nature of your nature Your species, you participated in the mutiny. Our, yes, our sins. It's nature inherited. Black in the human heart, it was over before it started. Deceived from day one and led away by our own lust. There's not a religion in the world that doesn't agree that something's wrong with us. The question is, what is it and how do we fix it? Are we eternally separated from a god that may or may not have existed? But that's another subject. Let's keep grinding. Besides trying to prove God is like defending a lion, homie. It'll need your help. Just unlock the cage. Let's move on on how our debt can be paid. Short and sweet. The problem is sin. Yes, sin. It's a cancer. An asthma choking out our life force, forcing separation from a perfect and holy God. And the only way to get back is to get back to perfection. But silly us, trying to pass the course of life without referring to a syllabus. This is us. Keep up your good deeds, chant, pray, meditate, but all of that, of course, is spraying cologne on a corpse. Or you could choose to ignore it as if something don't stink. It's like stepping in dog poop and refusing to wipe your shoe But all of that ends with how good is good enough Take your silly list of good deeds And line them up against perfection, good luck That's life past your pay grade The cost of your soul, you ain't got a big enough piggy bank But you could give it a shot But I suggest you throw away the list because even your good acts are an extension of your selfishness. But here's where it gets interesting. I hope you're closely listening. Please don't get it twisted. It's what makes our faith unique. Here's what God says is part A of the gospel. You can't fix yourself. Quit trying, it's impossible. Sin brings death. Give God his breath back, you owe him. Eternally separated and the only way to fix it is someone die in your place and that someone gotta be perfect or the payment ain't permanent. So if and when you find a perfect person, get him or her to willingly trade their perfection for your sin and death in. Clearly since the only one that can meet God's criteria is God, God sent himself as Jesus to pay the cost for us. His righteousness, his death functions as payment yes payment wrote a check with his life but at the resurrection we all cheered because that means the check cleared pierced feet pierced hands bloodstained son of man fullness forgiveness free passage into the promised land that same breath that god breathed into us god gave up to redeem us And anyone and everyone and by everyone I mean everyone who puts their faith and trust in him and him alone can stand in full confidence of God's forgiveness and here's what the promise is that you are guaranteed full access to return to perfect unity by simply believing in Christ in Christ alone you are receiving life yes
0: Our sins paying everyone life You never know what you'll hear on 2020, and that's the rapper propaganda who put into words a rap around a six-word poem that simplifies the whole Bible into six words, and the co-writer of that poem uh, was our guest, Greg Steer. Greg, uh, six words, gospel uh, is as an acrostic. Uh, give us a little insight here into, into how you actually help young people to understand uh, the whole uh, sort of meta-narrative of the Bible.
1: Yeah, so we use a gospel acrostic, and each letter goes with a word which goes with a sentence so g god created us to be with him genesis 1 and 2 you know god made adam and eve to be in relationship with him and each other and the environment and everything was good oh our sins separate us from god genesis 3 they broke the one command god told them not to do adam and eve you know blame each other uh kicked out of the garden a broken relationship with their creator S s's sins cannot be removed by good deeds so Blood, sweat, and tears, the blood of the sacrifices, the sweat of trying to obey the 613 Old Testament commands, the tears of contrition when they fail to do so. You see that from Genesis 4 to Malachi 4, the last chapter of the Old Testament. P, paying a price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he paid the price for our sin on the cross. E, everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life, the book of John which is the only book in the Bible written on believers and said, believe 98 times that trust in him, right? And L, life with Jesus starts now, lasts forever, acts through revelation. And so we have students, uh, you explain that message, and then we have them memorize it and think of it like chords on a guitar. You learn these, you don't just pick up a guitar and start playing, you have to learn chords first. Uh, you don't, you know, just send a kid out to share the gospel. They need to learn the chords of the message. You know, those six sentences are like six chords. And once they get those down, then they can, you know, make beautiful music and articulate the gospel in a clear, biblically solid, but
0: also compelling way. So when we talk about uh, Teen Street being like a hothouse, you're actually getting kids to memorize all sorts of things like this and things as we might all remember as adults, things that we did memorize as teenagers often stay with us for our entire life. So if you get kids memorizing what this gospel is all about, that can stay with them. That's obviously a key, Greg. So important.
1: And uh, we'll challenge all the teenagers and adults to download our Life in Six Words app, where they can go through that and use that as a memory cue cards. It's got the gospel acrostic there. It's also a simple way to share their faith. And I tell teens, if you can swipe and read, you can share the gospel using the
0: Life in Six Words app. Hey, Greg, in this part of our conversation, I want to ask you about what good youth ministries might have in common that causes them to be effective and causes them to grow. Uh, what are your insights about how youth ministries share some things in common that uh, listeners m- might today pick up on? You know, we did a uh, a survey, a research project in the United States
1: and we found with several hundred youth ministries the youth groups that were seeing 25% new disciples made per year and more. Uh, had seven common values, and we cross-checked it from Presbyterian to Pentecostal, from urban to suburban to rural, and it was true across the board. Uh, And these seven values are rooted in the book of Acts, and sadly, they're not in typical youth ministries. And so the first one was intercessory prayer fuels it. So the youth ministries that reached the most of the lost prayed the most for the lost, And that shouldn't surprise us. But, um, you know, generally speaking, in a typical youth group, uh, we spend more time in games and announcements than in accessory prayer for the lost. But the youth ministries that were thriving spent time praying for their unreached friends. Second was relational evangelism drives it. So teens reach their own friends with the gospel. What we discovered is that teens that are willing to risk their social equity— to engage their friends with the gospel, grew deeper in their faith. They grew faster in their faith than teens who were not. Uh, thirdly, uh, leaders fully embraced and model it. So the youth leaders and adult leaders were leading the way in prayer and evangelism and disciple multiplication. Fourth was disciple multiplication uh, guides it. Fifth, a bold vision focuses it. Sixth, biblical outcomes measure it seven ongoing programs reflect it. And so those are the seven values that I believe, obviously, to be in a youth ministry, I think also as moms and dads, you know, I'm a dad of two teenagers, and we try to create that context in our own family where we're living those values out. It's what we call what it means to gospelize your ministry, gospelize, I-Z-E, your focus. And that's, that's what we try to help youth leaders, parents,
0: And teenagers do. And just to pause for a moment, because there'll be parents, there'll be youth leaders, people who are associated with their local church listening in right now thinking, where do I get a copy of that? Well, you can download a free digital copy of Gospelize, Gospelize Your Youth Ministry, and you'll be able to do that. Uh, I'm pretty sure it would be at the... A dare to Share website and uh, org is the website where you can download that free, uh, that free ministry resource that will help to uh, supercharge your youth ministry. Hey Greg I want to ask you while we're talking about creating the sort of culture that we are and when we talk about youth ministry sometimes we're talking about teenagers and young people the way that they're the ones who are in fact responsible for the whole thing but you like to bring parents into this whole issue here, because if we talk about a hothouse raising up young people, creating the culture where young people will be enthusiastic and on fire for Christ, uh, then parents have a role to play here. What are your thoughts?
1: Well, I think parents are the primary youth leaders. Um, we don't want to delegate or abdicate our responsibilities as moms and dads to a 24-year-old youth leader, who may or may not have kids themselves, and so Deuteronomy 6.4 makes it clear that we're responsible of the passing of our Christian faith to the next generation, and so I think that doesn't mean we have to be perfect, but I do believe it means we need to be passionate, we need to be authentic, and we need to be living this out. What I tell youth leaders and parents in the States is, if your teens aren't sharing their faith, you don't need a bullhorn, you need a mirror because your kids will do what they see you doing. And so uh, I just really encourage moms and dads to be active in sharing your faith and to bring it up, to ask people, hey, how can I pray for you, to engage your neighbors, your coworkers, your family, your friends in gospel conversations, not in an obnoxious way, but in a natural way. And as those doors open, explain the gospel message to them. And if you don't know how to do that, you know, check out Dare to Share because that's what we do. We help or, you know, go to I'd definitely go to, you know, Teen Street. Or, you know, watch with your teen or want a different screen, but learn how to share your faith as well and lead the way for your own kids.
0: Let's speak to everyone who's not involved in the youth ministry, but you are a part of a local church right now. I note that in one of your earlier books called Firing Jesus, you create a scenario where Jesus is the youth pastor in a 21st century local church. And we might all get that sort of image in our own mind for our own local church context and exploring how the church responds to him. So let's put ourselves in the shoes here and imagine Jesus is the youth pastor at our church. What's your main message in the idea of how everybody else in church life who's not involved in the youth ministry actually looks... At that youth pastor and the work they're doing with the young people of church. Well, I think if Jesus
1: was a youth leader at the typical church, he'd be fired uh, because you know he wouldn't just be about playing fun and games. I mean, he would—you for one—you probably would have a hard time finding him. He'd always be escaping ministry opportunities to pray, just like Jesus was in the, you know in in uh, the Gospels. But two, he poured himself. Into the core. I mean, he poured himself into those leadership students. He programmed for the masses. They had, you know, instead of pizza nights, they had fish and, you know, and chips, right? Uh, Instead of playing games, he healed lepers and yelled at Pharisees, uh, which is entertaining. But um, he really invested in those who were willing to go all in. And so that was my point in the book, Firing Jesus, is that he probably would not make the cut in a typical. Uh, youth ministry. I think what we need to do is we need to expect more uh, from our youth leaders, not when it comes to games or how big it is the youth group, but really, are we making disciples? Are our student leaders leading the way for the rest of the kids? And then, are we making progress when it comes to bringing the lost into God's kingdom by mobilizing our young people? And are we seeing growth happen? not just because we have the flashiest youth rooms or the best worship or the best games, but because teenagers are engaging their friends in gospel conversations, and they're coming out to be a part of it. And that excitement, when you have new believers like that in a room, is way more entertaining and exciting than the best games you could play. And I I have no problem with games and having fun in youth ministry, but the most fun a teen's going to have is leading a friend to Christ and seeing that friend grow.
0: Wow. Hey, we've got a Facebook question that's on our Facebook page right now. Asking listeners, and this gives us a little bit of real-time response as to how people are thinking about the conversation we're having. The question asks, Do you see the potential in young Australian people to reach their generation with the transforming Christian gospel? Well, there's a response or two to draw attention to. Carolyn says... All things are possible in God and for those who believe they live in exciting times to add to the book of Acts. It probably will cost them and all Christians. Adam says, well, it's clear the young are very good at sharing the bad, especially on social media, even about topics they haven't considered carefully. Just a matter of searching the good news and sharing that themselves with their peers. Uh, there's a comment or two from listeners and there's the question that I'm asking uh, what comes to mind is you're thinking about some of those sorts of responses greg
1: well I, I would i would agree i feel like you know teenagers are so used to commenting on social media and being out there i i feel like we need to give them a way to use their social media platforms to declare their faith in god in a in a compelling way and that can be a simple question like, hey, how can I pray for you? Or it could be connecting with one individual person via direct message saying, hey, you've been on my, you know, been on my heart. I'd love to talk to you sometime about how you're really doing in this pandemic. And what we do at Dare to Share in our events is we have students uh, right there in the room, you know, use their... Um, apps, their social media platforms to begin gospel conversations with their friends, and we see great response uh, from teenagers doing that. And I think it also helps those Christian teens to really, you know, risk, and the, the way they grow is by risking that social equity that they have
0: to declare the name and fame of Christ. You know, there'll be parents listening to our conversation that have teenagers. They're thinking about Teen Street, uh, the way you might find that sort of hothouse scenario that might really intensify the faith of a young person. And it's all very well to be thinking of a young person who might get fired up maybe for a little while as a follower of Christ, but then to take that on to a step beyond and then themselves be so effective in what they are doing as a young person that they move into a leadership role themselves. This idea of uh, the idea of succession for your youth leaders in your local church—all of these things are so important. There are defining moments, aren't there, in the life of a young person that launch a young person into a role that they might have as leaders, finding their voice, uh, pursuing, serving God uh, with the sort of same passion I think that listeners can hear in you, Greg, that you once lived very close to the Columbine High School. Uh, Some listeners uh, will remember the dreadful uh, massacre that happened back in 1999. You were there just living nearby, but that was a defining moment for you that, uh, that launched you in a different direction.
1: Yeah, you know, I was a pastor of a church, a uh, growing church here in Denver, Colorado, and doing Dare to Share kind of on the side because I love teenagers, and I thought I would pastor and do Dare to Share for the rest of my life. And then the Columbine High School shooting took place at, you know, this, this school, uh, this high school. I knew a lot of the kids in the school. Uh, my wife is a public school teacher in the same county, and uh, God just wrecked me and uh, called me out. From being a, a pastor to adults to mobilizing teenagers to reach their friends, because the two shooters, Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold, were teenagers at that school, students at that school. And my question is where were all the Christian teens to reach out to them with the hope of Christ? And what if they would have been reached with the gospel? And so for me, it was that why, that urgency. Uh, I resigned from the church, and since then, been full time training, equipping, and mobilizing young people through their local church um, to reach their peers with the gospel of Christ. And I just believe the best one to reach a teen is a teen, and the best one, ones to train and equip and mobilize their young people are youth leaders and parents. And so that's what we do at Dare to Share. That's why i was excited to be. I'm so excited to be a part of Teen Street because that's their thought. That's their theme. That's their philosophy. That's their passion. Let's mobilize the next generation for the gospel. Let's not just gather and sing and have fun. Let's do that. But let's mobilize uh, to gospelize our communities. And so
0: that's That's why I'm so passionate about it. I'll give that Teen Street website in just a few moments too for parents that want to write that down and maybe go online, uh, get their teenagers registered for it. But training, equipping and mobilising. I like what you're saying and I know that it'll resound with so many listeners that it's not all about fun and games, that there are serious aspects to Christian faith. And exposing our teenagers to that is going to be an important aspect. I know that in your Dare to Share book, uh, you've got really great practical insights, real world uh, ideas, tips and tools that not only young people can use, but obviously it's going to be a resource too for youth leaders if you're building a culture into your youth group. But you also like to profile other belief systems, this idea of contrasting what's going on in the real world and where your faith fits in context. Give us a little insight here in just how real you've got to be as a youth leader today, Greg, to be able to have kids understand the the contrast of what the value of their faith is compared to what else is on offer in the world. Yeah,
1: I mean, they need to know what they believe and why they believe it because there's other belief systems out there. You know, in the back of the Dare to Share book, there's 13 other belief systems that teenagers, you know, we urge them to get to know what you believe, but also be aware of what others believe so that you can engage them. Now, we don't say engage, don't enrage. And so one of the things that we do is we train. In three words, ask, admire, admit. So ask a ton of questions. You meet somebody who's, uh, you know, a Muslim or a Mormon or a Buddhist or a Hindu. Ask a ton of questions. Get to know what they believe. Admire what you can about what they believe. Find common ground, like Paul did in Acts 17 with a bunch of pagan, Epicurean, and Stoic philosophers. He found something he could agree with. Uh, He found that common ground. Admire. Ask, admire, then admit. Admit the reason you're a Christian— you're so messed up, you needed Jesus to save you. And and you begin to really engage in a conversation rather than just trying to win an apologetics arm wrestling match. Uh, You get into apologetics later on, but once you're actually in a real conversation, a cordial, loving conversation, not just a presentation, but a conversation. So those three words, ask, admire, admit, Ask a ton of questions, admire what you can, about what they believe, admit the reason you're a Christian is you're so messed up, you needed Jesus to save you. And now
0: you're in a conversation, not just spewing the truth on somebody. And when you've got teenagers sharing their faith with one another, uh, peer to peer, we were talking a little bit about that earlier, and you were saying that when a young person shares their faith with another and leads one of their friends to Christ, there's just something so amazing about that. What you're seeing there is no doubt what we read about in the Bible a demonstration of the power of the gospel. So when the gospel comes with power and we see a life changed, it's as though, in some sense, though, uh, we do those things and you're training young people to do something practical, share their faith. But when that when that response is there, when there's a transformed life, there's a demonstration of the power of the gospel because that young person can see. So there's a certain sense in which we train our young people to do things even before they understand why they are so important. There's a process here. Give us some insights into how you think that process works uh, when a young person's leading their friend to Christ.
1: Well, I think, you know, the student, the teenager that's sharing their faith Uh, needs to know how to engage, and so we, you know, again, ask, admire, admit, they take them through the process of sharing the gospel story. That's why we have memorized that gospel acrostic, and at the end, we, you know, does that make sense, and is there anything holding you back from trusting in Jesus right now? And so that little process uh, helps them articulate their faith, and then as students ask them questions they don't have the answers to, they just say, that's a great question. Um, I have no idea, but let me go, you know, talk to my youth pastor, my pastor, read my Bible, and come back, and let's have let's continue the conversation. And so I think the, pro- the real process, though, is them learning how to depend on the Holy Spirit. Because when you're in that situation, what we find is when we take kids out, so at these Dare to Share events, we train them, equip them, and mobilize them. We do a thing called Dare to Share Live. 125 cities across the United States, simultaneously trained, equipped, and then we actually go out. And I guarantee you, every teenager and every youth leader is terrified. And it's good, because it makes them depend on the Holy Spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. So it makes these teenagers realize, I can't, but the Holy Spirit can through me. And they come back from that outreach experience. It's like a dance party. Because they've been used, like you said, it's a demonstration of the spirit and of power, and
0: that just changes them and marks them for a lifetime. Well, I know there'll be parents who'll be excited about Teen Street that's coming up. And Greg, uh, no doubt you're going to make an amazing contribution through what you'll be doing. And, uh, you know, you'll be live streaming in from the United States for the session that you have. No doubt you'd like to be here and sharing in our Australian uh, winter, but uh, but you won't be able to. You'll be You'll be doing your session from the US, from Denver, Colorado. But let me give the website for parents to make sure that their teenager is registered for Teen Street. teenstreet.org.au teenstreet.org.au It's on from the 8th to the 11th of July. It's online this year, and that means no geographical limiting factors. Teens from all over Australia can take part, and those who are listening in outback and remote communities, you might be really jumping on the bandwagon here, teenstreet.org.au. Let me just mention some of those things with our guest today, and our guest, of course, Greg Steer. He's written a number of books. You might look out for Outbreak. Creating a Contagious Youth Ministry Through Viral Evangelism. Another one of his books, Ministry Mutiny, a Youth Leader Fable. Or, as I mentioned, another one, Dare to Share, a field guide for sharing your faith. There's lots of free articles and e-books to grow your youth ministry too, And you can get those at the Dare to Share website, daretoshare.org. But to register your teen for Teen Street, it's teenstreet.org.au. Greg, thank you so much for taking some time. Uh, What a great contribution, Uh, not just for getting teens to Teen Street, but uh, in sharing these thoughts about how youth ministry can be transformed because of these amazing uh, foundations that you can lay. Greg, thanks so much for taking time to talk to us today on 2020. Thank you so much. You know,
1: our vision is every teen everywhere hearing the gospel from a friend. And my prayer is that God uses Teen Street to to saturate Australia with the good news of the gospel through a generation of teens.
0: Thanks for taking time to
2: listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.